As we think about our journey with the Lord, uh, there are, in my opinion, many things that can get in the way. There are many obstacles in the path of faith. Some set there by the enemy, I have no doubt. Some uh, set there by ourselves. One of the things that gets in the way of that, uh, there are probably, well, I guess two things that get a lot of people, and they are one of two extremes, fear and greed. When you think about the world in which we live in, I would ask you this question, which one do you gravitate towards between those two extremes, fear or greed? Of course, we all are susceptible and, and, and capable of gravitating to either extreme, uh, let the markets take a nice long ride and people get greedy, greedy, greedy. You take the markets and you let them drop for a considerable amount of time and people get fearful, fearful, fearful. Someone once said the, the, the key to being successful with fear and greed is to be greedy when everyone else is fearful and to be fearful when everyone else is greedy. It's counterintuitive, but... What we're going to look at tonight, Jesus actually addresses these two major extremes of fear and greed in the human heart. And he does that by interacting with a person. He warned us that these two extremes, either of them, can have terrible eternal consequences. If you're following along in Luke chapter 12, that's where we're going to be. Luke chapter 12, as we continue on our journey with Luke, as he outlines in an orderly way, thoughtful and uh, organized for Theophilus, the life of Jesus. Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 24 is going to be our key text. And uh, in my translation... You know, you always have these little descriptions above each section of the text. And I think sometimes those descriptors do us a disservice because we tend to compartmentalize this piece of text from that piece of text. We just assume Jesus was giving miniature devos. When we pull those descriptors out, which I understand the translators meant well to kind of highlight the, the theme of that particular text, but when we pull them out and we begin to read the text all as one, and that's what we're going to do tonight, uh, there are two sections. Mine's called The Parable of the Rich Fool and Do Not Be Anxious. We're going to put those two sections together tonight and um, look at what lessons Jesus had for us about fear and greed. A man came to Jesus, and he wanted Jesus to settle a civil dispute, a civil matter that had probably, in all reality, grown very uncivil. If you have lived through um, a squabble over an inheritance or a squabble between family members concerning money, uh, you might relate. Uh, this man comes to Jesus, not really come to him, he sort of just shouts out to him, uh, as he's there in the crowd, uh, let's read verses 13 and following. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbiter between or over you? And he said to them, Take care. 
And be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns, and and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods. Laid up for many years, relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now the the text, Luke, does not give us a a lot of detail concerning this civil or uncivil dispute, but a man apparently wanted more of the inheritance and he wanted the brother to divide the inheritance. We know in our study of the text that according to Deuteronomy chapter 21, the firstborn often had the right of double portion of the inheritance. So instead of maybe if it was two brothers being a 50-50 split, uh, this might look something like 70-30, or somewhere along those lines. Now, was this the firstborn, or I mean, was this the, the secondborn asking Jesus to make the firstborn, make it more equitable, equitable and fair, make it into more of a 50-50, perhaps? What was it that caused this man who has a wonderful opportunity to ask Jesus anything, Asked Jesus' profound wisdom of the ages to be laid into his heart and at his feet. And in that moment, he says, Ah, could you, could you handle this uh, inheritance matter? You seem like a guy who has authority. Why don't you make my brother do what I want? It seems awfully short-sighted, uh, such as what greed will do to you. Proverbs chapter 28, if you care to... Reference an Old Testament resource, Proverbs chapter 28, verse 25, says, A greedy man stirs up strife, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. This man was very short-sighted. All he could do was focus on what share of the inheritance he was getting and the fact that it was not enough. Jesus interestingly here, is not concerned terribly, it seems, with economic justice. It seems to be something that the world thinks that Jesus would be interested in, but here's an example where Jesus didn't try to make everything equitable and give everyone uh, or these two siblings uh, or all of the siblings an equal share. Jesus certainly could have stepped in to address that, but, but he refused because he was on a higher mission. Jesus uses this interruption to teach an important lesson, and it's this. Be on your guard against greed. Think about this. I mean, you you really have to delve into, I know it's hard to imagine because we've got this nameless man, this voice in the crowd calling out, and that's really all we know about this man. But the fact is that his father and mother had died, whether both at the same time or he only had one parent remaining at whatever point. He had had a death in the family, uh, someone presumably his 
mother or father and what he's concerned about. Here he is in front of Jesus, the opportunity to grow wiser, to grow closer to the Lord, and he's worried about his cut of the inheritance. He, here he is, he's lost a mother or dad, and what he's not concerned is the connection with his brother, but is concerned with what he's not getting. He's more concerned over what he's getting than what he had lost. And he is certainly seems to be at least minimally, if not at all, concerned about his eternal preparations. Why did he do that? Why did this man choose this moment, ask this question, which seems to us to be short-sighted? And I will say, it's easy for us to read and sit in judgment of this man. That's where we are in the text right now. Obviously, you know, as the preacher, my job is to turn that on you and make you turn the mirror of Scripture on your own heart and point out any greed or fear within you. The, The answer as to why he did that, of course, is greed. Now, Greed, as uh, is shown here in the image that you're looking at, seems to be associated only for people with money. In other words, only, only wealthy people can have or suffer the sin of greed. And of course, it's never me because I'm not wealthy. It's the guy who has more than me. He's the evil rich guy. He's got the problem with greed, not me. Now, isn't that ironic that, that I'm pointing out how that guy with more money He should really give more of that money to me because he's greedy. Seems not to make perfect sense, but uh, emotions are not always logical. Greed, you see, is a heart attitude towards money. It has nothing to do with the amount of money. You can be poor or wealthy and still be greedy. There are people that are absolutely broke, got no money, don't have two nickels to rub together, and are very greedy. There are people with lots of money. Uh, they'll never have to worry money, about money a day in their life, and they're still greedy. So it's an attitude of the, of the heart towards the wealth that you have. We, we can see greed in several examples. And it most often occurs in these moments where we say, why did they do that? Why will a family split And siblings never talk to one another again for the rest of their lives over an inheritance matter, which, I mean, this seems to be what could have been happening here. No, it has everything to do with greed. Why why do brilliant people in the technical field, the IT world, spend a a lot of time uh, developing scamware and ransomware? Why is that? Greed. Why do people with, with money, with good jobs, stand on street corners and hold signs? Greed. I'm not talking about people who have legitimate problems and are, who really have nothing. I'm talking about there are people, and you and I have read and seen the stories, that go out onto the major thoroughfares and hold up signs, and they have perfectly good jobs. Live in houses very nice and, and, and have vehicles that are very nice and, and have retirement accounts and they will go out and stand on the street in shabby clothes because they make quite a good living at it as a side job. Why do they do that? Greed. Why do Christian people support gambling systems that take advantage of the poor? Why do they do that? 
greed. Oh, it's entertainment. No, it's not entertainment. No, that's a lie. It's not entertainment. It's I want a chance to win a large amount quickly without having to work for it. It's greed. Why do employees steal from their companies? Greed. Why do bosses and owners cheat their employees? Greed. Why do career politicians still seek power? Greed. Why do people who have the ability to do do so trade on the inside with insider information? Greed. It comes down to it. First Timothy chapter 6, 9, and 10. Later in the New Testament, Paul writes this. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. And the, the problem is not the money. Money is an inanimate, it's just a tangible piece of paper dyed in a certain way. With, you know, it, it, it's, there, there's no morality or amorality about the wealth, the cash, the, the gold, the investments, the assets in and of themselves. It's the love of those things which causes the problem. When you have money, you're wealthy. But when money has you, you're greedy. And not necessarily are the two coinciding. There are people without money that money has a a deep hold on their heart. And there are people with money like that too. Here's an example from the world. This man's name is Bernie Sanders. If you listen to Bernie Sanders as a politician, you kind of get real quickly and understand what Bernie's all about. Uh, Bernie rails against uh, greed of other people. He, He often rails against those who are greedy and those who are wealthy and those who have money and how it's not right. And what his proposed solution is that the government, very altruistic that it is, needs to take that money from those greedy, greedy people and distribute it more fairly and more equitably. All right? On the surface, it doesn't sound, I mean, you know, it, it doesn't sound logical, but um, but let's, you know, follow that line of thinking. Is that really what Mr. Sanders believes? Mr. Sanders is a career politician. He has multiple, multiple millions of dollars. He has several homes and houses, uh, assuming that, that he is, I mean, obviously he's wealthy, but, but I mean, surely he's not greedy. He must give a lot of money to charity. Uh, investigative reporter, you know, went through the records. Mr. Sanders' giving, charitable giving, is less than 2%. That's greed. Greed's one of those things that will get you because you think everyone else is guilty of it. It's not just our world. Jesus warned against greed in his world. He warned against uh, 
this in religious people. In Luke chapter 11, verse 39, I'm sure you all remember it well from when I preached on it just not too long ago, and you were talking in your car ride on the way home, and you were thinking about it all week, but, but just in case you didn't, Luke chapter 11, verse 39, Jesus warned the Pharisees, now, you Pharisees, cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You see, it was greed that had so much to do with their inner heart that, that was just very troubling to God, that was unclean and disgusting and gross because of their greed and their wicked behavior, probably motivated by greed. It was greed that would cause Judas to betray his mentor of three years, his teacher, his rabbi, the one whom he followed, and he would betray him for a mere 30 pieces of silver. Greed was what caused Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts to lay a gift at the apostles' feet and let the assumption be made that this was a a wonderfully generous gift. We had sold this land and we had donated all of the proceeds and they were deceiving themselves, but they were not deceiving God or the Holy Spirit. That was really the, the point of this next story was the story that Jesus told that we call the parable of the rich fool, back to Luke chapter 12. The point of the parable is that greed can be eternally destructive in us. Don't misunderstand. I'm not talking about wealth. I'm talking about greed. It was the rich man. There wasn't anything wrong with being rich. There wasn't anything wrong with producing plentifully. It was the conversation in his head which followed. What shall I do? I have nowhere to store my crops. Where am I going to place all of my my crops? I'm going to have to tear down my very full barns, old as they are, and I'm going to have to build bigger ones, and then I'll have plenty. He starts that building project, uh, which he thinks is going to set him up for life, and he realizes that his life is going to end before he finishes the project. Greed is the attitude of the heart The reason it's so dangerous to us is because it puts our focus on temporary trash instead of eternal treasures. The grain would spoil or it would be sold. It would end up in someone else's hands. The barns that were built to hold that, those storage bins were not built to hold eternal treasures. And nothing wrong with having lots of grain problem is letting all of that grain have you and have your heart and have it where you take your focus then off of the Lord, off of his purposes and onto the things of the world. Jesus said that God called this man a fool because he focused on the short term and he lost sight of the long term. He traded his eternal treasure toward temporary, trashy things. A fool is the one who lays up treasure for himself and yet is not rich toward God. If you struggle with greed, the good question to ask here at this point is what 
is the solution. Other than just me preaching a sermon and making you feel guilty about it or realizing that, oh, I'm aware that I struggle with greed, what do I do? That's a good question. I'm glad that you asked. Turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. And I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version, but the, the NIV, I believe, is the verse that's on the screen. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. The, the ESV says whatever is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Greed is idolatry. I realize that idolatry is one of those sins that's hard to relate to because we don't often find ourselves tempted to go out and make an offering toward an Asherah pole or, or, or sacrifice an animal to a foreign god. And, and that was something that God's people, especially in the Old Testament and the wanderings of Israel, that we see them getting to again and again. We assume that because there's no idol, that there's no idolatry. And that's not the case. Idolatry can live right in here. And it can take so many, many forms. And the only solution, as I see it, if you read through in the Old Testament account, whenever there was a king who wanted to turn the people back to the Lord, what was the first thing that king began to do? He began to destroy the high places, the, the places of, of worship, the Asherah poles, the, the, the uh, places of idolatry, the, the, the idols. He, he got rid of all of that stuff. That's the only solution that I know of to idolatry is to d- utterly destroy the idol. So if, if greed is your idol, there is only one solution, and that's to destroy it. Fortunately for us, Jesus told us exactly how to do that. Luke chapter 12, verse 33 and 34. And again, we're in a, a different section. We're at the, toward the end of this. But I think, I think Jesus is looking toward the direction of the man who asked the question. Because he knows this man is struggling with greed. And he says, looking in his direction, sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide for yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and where no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart is as well. Giving is the antidote to greed. It is the only way that I know of to destroy, little by little, to chip away at the idolatry, at the idol of the heart, to make sure that we do not let it stand tall. That may sound difficult. There are some preachers who say, well, it doesn't really, you don't really have to take that literally. Well, okay. If you struggle with greed, you're who Jesus is talking to. If you struggle with greed, you're, you're the fool who's always focusing on building bigger barns. And Jesus warned that man. 
What are you doing? There's coming a time at the end of your life when you get to a point and you're going to go through a door and none of your money, none of your possessions, none of your stuff can go with you. It all stays here. And if you go through that door unprepared, how foolish. How foolish to amass for yourself treasures on earth and pay no attention to what's on the other side of the door. If you struggle with greed, maybe you ought to look at verse 12, 33, and 34. Sell your possessions. Give to the needy. Provide yourselves with the treasure in the heavens. uh, And provide for yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, with a treasure where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Yes, if you struggle with greed, that would be very difficult. But since when is... Destroying your idols, difficult. When is destroying your idols ever easy? Was it difficult for God's people back in the days when they worshipped idols? Sure. If it wasn't, if it was easy, most all of the kings would have done it. There's some resistance to it. But if you struggle with greed, it's better to destroy the idol so that you're prepared to go through the door. How do we get past How then do we get past the fear that we have? This is start of verse 22. We're going to back up now. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Think about this. What was it that drove this man to seek Jesus' help? On the one side, we can say, well, he was greedy. Okay, we'll dig a little deeper than that. Get, get, to, the, get, get to the real root of why he was greedy. Where does that come from? Fear. Fear of not having enough. I've read a, a couple of interesting stories. I'll, I'll not forget, um, there was a story in the Eagle many years ago about a very generous gift that had been made to the Wichita State University. It had been given a multi-million dollar gift, and uh, the, the story was about the, this couple, and the, the, the man had died, it was just the widow left, and, and then she had died, and that produced this gift seven or eight million dollars, and uh, it was kind of talking about how to meet this woman, you'd never know that she had multiple millions of dollars, and she had grown up in an era where their family had nothing, and had grown up during the Depression in the dirty 30s, and they, 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 and th- there was something about, was it her parents that put it there, was it just something that she let in there, that she had continual fear of not having enough. I'm not, I'm not judging the eternal destiny of this woman, okay? This is just, this is just a, an aside here. What motivated her to never spend a dime and to never give until after she died was fear. Because she feared if, 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 if there was a, another, God forbid, another crash like there had been, like she had lived through, like she had seen, that, that, that she wouldn't have enough 
And so there was something rooted, and you might say it was greed, but really it was, it was rooted deeper than that in fear. This was the same thing that drove the man to ask the question. Why, you know, when I talked about all of the reasons that people are greedy, or, you know, all of the case studies are examples of people being greedy. Most of the time, when you get to the root of people's greed, it has everything in the world to do with fear. Fear that they won't have enough to get through today, to get through the end of the week, to get through the month, to get through their lives. Fear is really the the deep-seated root of greed. He feared not having enough. And so he put his hope and his trust in this inheritance that he was to receive. And when he received an inheritance that was not to what his expectation was, increped fear. Fear is the opposite of faith. We put our trust in something besides God. That always leads us to fear. simple modern example is is the stock market. If you put your trust in your nest egg, then when the market goes, and all those red symbols are flashing on, you know, your Apple stocks, and, and, and you're, you're, you're checking your accounts daily, and you're just obsessive about it. Why? Because that's where your trust is. I'm not saying... Don't invest. I'm not saying don't save for the future. I think those are wise things to do. I'm just saying don't put your trust there. When when you get into fear, that leads to panic. That leads to irrational behavior. Okay, irrational behavior is people watch the price prices of everything dropping, right? And so what they're going to do is is emotionally react and sell at a very low price, which is foolish. Why do people do foolish things? Fear and greed. Why why are they so fearful? Because their trust is in the wrong thing. May we fight against fear continually with faith. And the key, by the way, to fighting fear is not just faith as a blanket Term. I mean, it's got to be. It's got to be the right kind of faith. You understand? It's, it's got to be faith in the right object. If you if you have faith, I mean, everybody has to some degree of faith. I mean, I mentioned the market, right? When, when the market goes down, you're going to have some huge concerns. No, I'm not leaving the sermon early. Just forgot to bring an object down for. An, Okay, if I put all of my faith in the world, I can have faith that moves mountains. And I put every bit of faith that I have into this chair right here. It doesn't matter how much faith I have. This chair is going to do nothing for me. And that's what idolatry was all about. That's the thing. They, 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 people put all you know, the, the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. They cut themselves. They screamed. They hollered around. And all they were doing was putting their faith in a chair. That chair wasn't going to do anything. It wasn't going anywhere. You see, they had lots of faith, but it was in the wrong object. Jesus says, all you have to have with me is faith like a mustard seed. Sometimes we think we've got to have big faith, and nothing's wrong with big faith. Just make sure your big faith is in the right object. 
Let's look at an example from Scripture. We know the story in Luke chapter 8. The disciples were in the boat. And as they were in the boat, this is verse uh, about 24, they went and they woke him saying, Master, Master, we're perishing. And he woke and he rebuked the wind and the raging waves and they ceased and there was calm. And look what he says to them. Verse 25, he said to them, where is your faith? Now, I read that wrong for a long time. I thought he was saying, why don't you have any faith? That's not what he's saying. Put the, put the emphasis on the right syllable, okay? <laughs> Where is your faith? Where was their faith? Was there faith in Jesus? Only when things got bad. Where was their faith? Their faith was in the boat. Their faith, maybe to some degree, was in themselves. We've we've got into this boat. We're in the storm. We've been in storms before. But then the boat begins to fill with water, and they realize the thing that they had the faith in wasn't really worth that much. They had a lot of faith in the boat and in their abilities to fish with the boat. And they wake Jesus only when they figure out that this thing ain't working. And Jesus says, where is your faith? They had faith, it was just in the wrong thing. It was in the wrong object. Their faith was in the boat. And when the boat was in danger, you see, they moved from faith into fear. So it's easy to pick on the apostles, easy to pick on the Pharisees and Sadducees. Let me ask you, where is your faith? What sits in the chair? Is it people? Is it money? Is it stuff? Is it power? Is it possessions? Is it knowledge? Is it your career? Is it politics? Where is your faith? You can have a whole lot of faith in all the wrong things. And when those things begin to collapse, you get fearful. Your faith is in politics and Everything's great when, you're, you're, when your party's in office, but when your party's out, oh man, the sky is falling. We're never going to recover. The church is going to, I mean, it, it's all, it, why? Why are we so much fear? Because our faith is in the wrong thing. Our faith is in the wrong place. You got lots of money, you got barns and bigger barns, and all of a sudden the market tanks, and all of a sudden you get fearful, you get worried, you get angry, you get bitter, you're looking for, you know, cashing out and and find me commodities and then investing in just anything that seems safer than what I've got. Why are you doing that? You know it'll correct, you know, I mean, you know it'll, it'll come out, you know, it's foolish to sell at a low point, but you're fearful. Why? Because, because your faith was in the wrong thing. So maybe the question is, where is your faith? Lasting faith is only found in the holy fear of the Lord. And this is where faith and fear kind of go together in a weird sort of way. If, you wanna, if you're following along, Luke, Luke chapter 12, and, and we're a little bit, this is from a, a little bit before our key text tonight. Luke chapter 12, verse 4. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And after that, have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. 
Fear him after he has killed, has the authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are worth more than many sparrows. The people who fear the Lord the most seem to have the most faith in Him. And the people with the most faith in Him don't get all sorts of wound up with anxiety and fear and worry when their little world comes crashing down. Your world, your idols, your things, whatever they are, God is going to tip them over. He is going to crush them. Only that you might be driven to put your faith in the right place. The man who asked the question, I I wonder, did he ever learn that lesson? And so may we learn from this fearful and greedy man, and that is this, may we guard our hearts. May we guard them and protect them from fear and greed. From fear of everything else in the world when our idols get knocked over and greed for obsessing over the idol. 1 Timothy 6, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, that's greed, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, that's fear, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Guard against both fear and greed. Put your faith in Jesus. Put your trust in in Him, and give your life fully to Him. And if you're going to be greedy for anything, be greedy for knowing Him more, for drawing closer to His presence, for for wanting to understand His Word, and to growing closer to Him in a beautiful relationship. If you want to have faith in something, put faith in Him. And tonight you need to begin that journey of faith. I ask you just to take a very small step And take a small mustard seed of faith and simply obey what Jesus said to do. If you are ready tonight to begin your walk with Jesus, it takes only a step. Only a step, only a small decision to put on Christ, to begin obeying Christ all of the days of your life. May we guard our hearts against both fear and greed. And if your heart has been overwhelmed by fear or greed of either types, perhaps you need to ask for our prayers. We'd be glad to pray with you and for you. Perhaps you need to repent. We'd be glad to offer a prayer of repentance on your behalf. If you're struggling with fear and greed, don't wait till it's too late. Prepare to go through the door. Prepare to meet the Lord God. If you are ready, if you need to be, get prepared, Uh, Please step forward this evening as together we stand and sing.